Association and SciFi.com, this is Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga Podcast. We are the only exclusively alien podcast of its kind, with your hosts, J.M. Prater and Peter Hay. God damn it, that's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. And all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Fucking A. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. This is episode 33. I am your host, J.M. Prater, and this is... Peter Haight. Hello, everyone. And we're just back to talk about kind of the latest news, and this is a round two for us. Uh, uh, second time's a charm. Um, just all of the kind of the fallout or the... Uh, we Our last episode was about... Uh, well, we posted an episode today, but the one before that was speculation on a new bomb camp uh, was or is secretly shooting his alien film. Um, so we can discuss that, whether we think that that's true or uh, it's wild speculation. Um, some more uh, more clips have been dropped from the official alien cam- or alien covenant camp, so we can talk about that. Um, and yeah, and uh, there's some tidbits about Blade Runner that we can discuss. Um, so yeah, so here we go. Yeah, um, there's a lot going on right now. Um, Covenant has wrapped filming, so they're probably going into they're probably going deeper into the production um, before they head to post production on the film, I'd imagine. And yeah. you know, Blade Runner Two is filming as we speak right now. Ryan Gosling and his family are in Budapest, which is yeah. where Blade Runner Two is filming. And Harrison Ford is there as well. I saw a photo of him. Oh, uh, cool. Uh, it'd be. I wonder if Ridley Scott is in Budapest as well, and just doing some of the post. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Via satellite, you know, um, as oh, he's he's an active. Yeah, uh, he's an active producer on this Blade Runner sequel. I can't imagine he wouldn't be there on set. Maybe not the whole time. He's a producer, so he's not the director. He doesn't need to be there the whole time, but he probably wants to see the sights. You know, the last person on on that set was him directing the original yeah so i mean i'd, uh, I'd imagine it it kind of be like the empire strikes back where george lucas is the co-director and the producer and the screenwriter but ultimately it was you know um oh god i can't think of his name right now fuck who directed uh, the empire strikes back who directed it i'm having a brain fart. um i'm having a brain fart too uh i'm gonna feel so stupid we we can edit this out too um, no, it's okay. We people can know that we we feel dumb and not edit it out. <laughs> that <laughs> was directed by Irvin Kershner. Irvin Kershner, yes. Yeah, you know, ultimately it was his show, but George Lucas was the one that steered him towards the way that he felt it should go. So I feel like yeah. that's probably what's happening with Blade Runner. Totally, totally, I agree. And eventually, uh, that's what will happen to Alien Five with Neil Blomkamp if that ever surfaces. Yeah. Sure. And it'll be interesting to see uh, what creative decisions Ridley Scott has on uh, the Blade Runner sequel. Um, I uh, I recently wrapped uh, an interview with a gentleman named Yuani Yuani Nermi, 
who is a filmmaker and uh, a journalist. He's interviewed Ridley Scott several times. He's also interviewed David Fincher. Uh, he's a, a wealth of knowledge, a, a well of knowledge as well, um, and insight. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, uh, so everyone take a listen to that. That was a really, really, really solid interview. Yeah, um, I, I got the chance to listen to about 20 minutes of it before we went on to record today, and I was just blown away just the amount of passion and knowledge that somebody could have about the film franchise that we all adore so much. Yeah. Um, it was fascinating. It's fascinating to kind of, to, uh, to find out more and more and more. You think, you know, so much, I think I know so much. I don't, I'm certainly no expert. I mean, um, on the Wayland Utani bulletin, there's a lot of amazing, uh, people who know so much detail, like Christian, Hopefully, I'm saying his last name, Christian Matsky. He knows so much. If you ever want to, if you ever want to, uh, if you ever want, if you ever question about details of costuming, of sets, of props, Christian is your guy. He's, go to the, he's the go-to guy. Yeah, go to the Wayland Utani Bulletin and talk to him. He he can answer a lot of your questions. Um, so it's 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 good to it's nice to be in a place where you're we're continuing we're continuing. We're continually knowing more and finding out more. It's a good place to be. I am by no means an expert. I mean, you know all about alien isolation, um, oh, yeah. way more in depth than I do at the moment. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I this I'm still working on my third playthrough on Nightmare right now. Um, but I've just been so busy with work, and I've started so many other games. But I need to get back into it again because it's just. It is the best alien video game ever made. That's all I'm going to say. So, um, there's that. But, yeah, I mean, you know, there's... I am constantly blown away by just how many people in our little fandom, our little corner of the internet, um, just how much people know. Like, because it blows yeah. me away. Every, every time we talk to somebody, like, I learn something new. And I thought I knew a lot. Yeah, and you know, I the, I would say, uh, in terms of people we know, people we've had on the show, Dominic Kolskar, uh, oh, who, yeah. who uh, is the founder of his own uh, uh, page and website, he knows more than anyone that I know. I mean, he blows everyone away. I mean, the, the level of detail, the amount of detail, um, not just on sets and props, but casting and lines and uh, drafts of scripts. Um, he knows so much. I mean, I I think I dive philosophically into the Alien series and Ripley. I, I just scratched the surface compared to compared to his knowledge. So it's oh, yeah. it's I love fandom. I love that we're a community. I love that we're all connected. I think that um, it's important that we stay connected. And um, it's a brotherhood. It's a sisterhood. It's a family. Um, I really really believe that. And I think we're all here to help each other. And uh, it's so it's it's a great time to be an Alien fan as we await. Alien Covenant, um, which brings us to, you know, one of the, the last thing that they released was uh, a kind of a GIF slash quick video of someone in stasis. Um, there's speculation whether she is Daniels or Numi Rapace. I can probably say with 100% certainty that is not Numi Rapace. Um, I'm, I'm going to put my money on Daniels. It looks yeah. like Catherine Waterston to me. Yeah. I, I mean, that's just me. That's just I mean, I, I could I be wrong? Is. Yeah, I could be totally be wrong too. And it's interesting. That's a very iconic image. It's very she, the character, the person looks mummified. They, mm. I don't know if it's stasis or if it's cryosleep. 
It almost um, kind of reminded me of Metropolis, like something you'd see out of that. Almost. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I thought it was a really iconic image. It's certainly one that'll stand out as um, promotional material for Covenant. Um, then, of course, you have the media train right now that's turning into a hype train, which is awesome because every time somebody speaks about this film, it's really convincing me that this is the film we should have got four years ago. Yeah. It's it's something I discussed with you, you Yuani. Um, really, it's, it's really Scott doing a formal alien film. Um, Prometheus wasn't really an alien film. It was set in the alien universe, and it explored other things. Now, we know um, that the engineers and their kind of their their universe or their what's the word i'm looking for um their culture as a race as a as a population is going to be explored a little bit more we've seen uh we've seen images from covenant uh showing similar things that we had seen in prometheus but i from what i'm gathering this is just a, a, a guess uh we won't see any uh engineers in the film they'll we'll see kind of the the remnants of their society I, uh, I get the feeling that's how it's going to be as well. I think the engineers were kind of a misstep for Prometheus, to be honest. I thought yeah. they were well done, but they certainly did not fill the, the gap that people wanted with the space jockey. Because yeah. clearly, it's not the same creature. There's, there's a huge difference. And I'm hoping maybe we'll get some answers on that in the near future. But... Um, I, I too am hoping that um, Covenant steps further away from the engineers and it's more about what happened to them and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm I, I'm anticipating when we see Covenant um, and these colonists or whatever, I mean, we, we, we know very little. We know that synopsis, a brief synopsis, but mm-hmm. I, if I build, not build this up in my head, but if, I'm, if I try to imagine what I'm going to see, I expect... Um, the ship to land or whatever, the colonists to get out and explore this kind of lush um, planet, perhaps. Um, and then they stumble upon this, the remnants of the society. And it's going to be quiet and it's going to be brooding. And they're going to find uh, maybe people like we saw in the uh, spoiler, spoiler alert, by the way, uh, maybe uh, some of the figures that we saw in the imagery that was leaked, quote unquote, of, of kind of. Uh, what are they mummified? Maybe they died in a, an explosion, a lava they explosion. Kind of burned. You know? Yeah, um, it reminds me of, and I've said this before. It reminds me of um, that lost civilization. Oh my God, there was a movie done about it too. I hate it when when I'm out, whenever I do a podcast, I'm trying to think of things because I'm talking a lot. I'm trying to think about a lot. I can't think of names. Pompeii, that's the name. Oh it yeah, Pompeii, yeah. where people kind of died in ash frozen where they were. So those are some of the images that we're seeing from Covenant. Um, but I hope, I hope, and I pray that when they explore that, um, that planet, we get to do it in silence. Mm. Uh, not so much without a soundtrack, but a soundtrack that lets us breathe and explore and feel that feeling that we felt when Cain climbed up into the space jockey chamber and we heard that chunk, 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 chunk. Well, I mean, kind of like like you were mentioning with Jerry Goldsmith's score when you spoke with um, that gentleman today, you mentioned that it's a soundtrack that prides itself on silence, and that really stood out to me. So I think 
if the score as well as the cinematography and the story can all come together perfectly when they explore that world that Ridley has put together, I think that'll be that'll be great. You know, just that mystery, like, you know, the air gets sucked out of the room and people are trying to figure out what's going on. Yes, yes. And, you know, uh, Yuani, that's his name, he made, uh, you know, he made a really good point. And I've always believed this, and I, I know that you, you do too, but Alien really was, um, Alien was an alien without the score. Right. Alien was an alien without H.R. Geiger. Alien was an alien without the cast. So everything about that film was important to that film. Whereas when we look over Prometheus, um, we could say, oh, this element was really great, and it didn't need that. We can't say that about Alien. We really can't say that about Aliens. Even Alien 3, we can say, this film was pretty much a masterpiece, but there's some things that they could have done to make it even better. Um, the first two films are perfect. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and, um, and uh, that's how Covenant is going to have to work. The soundtrack's really going to have to be an integral. It's going to have to be another character, uh, as it was. I'm excited, though. I think it will be. I have hopes that uh, Harry Gregson Williams, um, who's agreed to be on this show after uh, he's scored Alien Covenant, just to let everybody know, we'll see. Um, hopefully he delivers. I, I think he will. Yeah. Um, I feel like his score will be a step up from the previous score on Prometheus. I don't know who did that. It was largely forgettable. Yeah, uh, Mark Strichtenfeld. I, uh, I, I think that's how you pronounce his name. It was it was absolutely forgettable. It was just serviceable. It wasn't anything of note. It wasn't any, like, I mean, of the Alien films. I know a lot of, a lot of people like the soundtrack to Aliens. Now, for me, I think that's forgettable. It's a very action-oriented, um, obvious soundtrack. I don't think it's a bad soundtrack at all. I think it's solid. Um, much better than... Prometheus and uh, Alien Resurrection, those aren't hard to beat. Um, but I really feel like the best soundtracks of the films are Alien and Alien 3. Mm, I agree wholeheartedly, without a doubt. Um, like the, the full extended score for Alien and then the full extended score for uh, Alien 3, masterpieces. Yes, I could listen to them all day, every day, nonstop. Seriously, seriously. They're just, they're just that impacting on what makes us who we are. I mean, it's kind of like Vangelis and his score for Blade Runner. That's like weekly listening to me. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, it's not yet yeah, for me. It's, I listen to the soundtrack to Blade Runner every other day. I shit you not. Um, yeah. that's, I was listening to it this morning. I listened to it all this morning. Um, there's just something about it that it paints a picture and it, it sets a mood and I don't know. Um, it, it's, but speaking of Vangelis, let's go off on that a little bit. Now, Vangelis is about to release an album called Rosetta. Um, and Rosetta is his first album, and it's a tribute to, um, I think, a, a, the Rosetta landing or whatever it is, some type of lunar landing, not lunar landing, but uh, interstellar landing. Um, and I've listened to parts of it, and it's very interesting. It's very, it's very subdued for Vangelis. But the question I have is, is he scoring Blade Runner, the Blade Runner sequel? That is a good question. Um I I don't think he's he's done a lot recently. So I'm I don't know the last film that he scored. Let's let's look real quick. Yeah, it's been a while. I think I know he did um uh what's that movie with um the Irish actor uh James or um oh, uh, oh what is it? Oh my god. 
I always slip these he names. did a film, he, he scored the film Trashed. I don't know about that one. He's done um, Alexander 14. Alexander the Great. Okay. It's an Oliver Stone film. Yeah. Uh, actually, a really good film. An amazing score, of course. And another one of his amazing scores. If people are trying to check out scores, check out the score to 1492. Blow your socks off. It's amazing. Um, the film's great, too. Uh, stars Sigourney Weaver in a Ridley Scott film. Hmm. Uh, um, and, yeah, she made... Um, she made... Uh, 1492 right after she was done with Alien 3 so she went right jumped right into Ridley Scott's film and she played Queen Isabel um, she, of course she was amazing in it that's cool um, yeah not not to get off on a tangent but uh, we love tangents <laughs> since uh, 2012 he has not produced any film scores so it looks like he's taking his time maybe that could be for uh, to score Blade Runner but um with with something so monumental like the score for Blade Runner, I don't know how you could top that. Yeah. Well, like, I think the the approach is not to top it. The approach is just to make a good score. Maybe and, like a companion piece, perhaps something yeah. that's just as good. Well, you know, the soundtrack to Synchronicity is amazing. It is. The soundtrack to Synchronicity is as good as the soundtrack to Blade Runner. Uh, now, the film probably doesn't hold up as well. It's got different visuals, but it sets a tone. It sets a mood. It's effective. Um, so yeah, and uh, Stranger Things is also very Vangelis. <laughs> oh, yeah, and it's got some Carpenter mixed in too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, which brings us back to Covenant. Now, I know people have seen this, um, it's been in the in the news, in the entertainment news, but Dan McBride has said that, um, Alien Covenant is a straight up horror film, um, which is really exciting to hear. Um, really, really exciting to hear. Um, and he described uh, a man in a suit, in the alien suit, so it's not some CGI rendering. It's it's an actual person in a suit. Which, uh, my question is, I wonder if they went and found people or a person who had the uh, who has the stature of like Balaji um, from Alien, who was in the suit in Alien. He was an African man who's unfortunately passed away. Um, but he was seven feet tall, long, gangly, perfect in that in that suit. Um, that's what I want to see. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard to do practically, but it's that effort that you put into practical effects that makes it all worth it. Like the original alien suit, like that—that's phenomenal. I mean, how, yeah. you're you're never going to do better than that. Yeah. Now I'm sure materials uh, to build stuff like that is better. It's more durable. It's you know it lasts longer. Um, so I'm sure that there's a multitude of things that they can do, and I, I I'm fascinated to see what this alien is going to look like. We've seen this alien so much, and largely with the AVP films, um, they've made a, I, a mockery of. Yeah. Uh, however, I would say an AVP Requiem. The whoever the brothers were who directed that, um, they tried to. I got when I saw the alien in AVP Requiem, um, I noticed that their top lip was shaking when they were um, opening their lips to show their teeth, much mm -hmm. like they, much like what we, what we saw in Alien. It felt like they were really trying to get back to that aesthetic, um, and but I, it was always so unclear and kind of murky, um, and I really haven't. The alien really hasn't been as this beautiful thing. Uh, since probably aliens. Yeah. Um, 
I, I just feel like in maybe the past, you know, 10, 15 years, the alien has become a bastardization of its original self. Yes. And it's going to take a lot to rebuild that mystery and that excitement and just the sheer shock and awe that you see, that, that you feel when you see the alien for the first time. Like, I remember being probably like seven or eight, maybe the first time I saw Alien, and I just remember seeing it for the first time and thinking, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also remember um, that one scene where the alien rises up in front of um, in front of Lambert, and it just, it, it was terrifying. It was a terrifying moment um, to see her face, or when it's hanging above uh, Bert, um, or... Brett. I always get the characters' names confused. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I, and what I'm interested in too is just in terms of covenant. Um, and I I talked about this with Yuani. Um, how? Because I think that Ridley Scott had to be kind of talked into really making an alien film. And I, I, I bet money that there was conversations where were like, you know, Ridley, you're the one who created this monster, you know, in terms of the film. And, um, you made this scary, make it scary again. If anyone can do it, you can do it. If anyone exactly. can like, come on, like you just want to grab him by his shoulders and say, fix this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, uh, I think, um, that's a that's a gauntlet for him. It's a challenge for him to say, "Hey, no, let's 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 make a scary film," um, and it's going to be tough to kind of make a film, you know, about these aliens that is scary and is original. To be original is really difficult. We've seen everything, um, but I, I'm excited. I, I'm up for that challenge. Obviously, I'm not making the film. I'm just going to be a, a, a spectator, an audience member. But I'm excited to kind of explore that challenge when they release it. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I have full faith in Ridley. I know what he's capable of. Um, last film he did, uh, The Martian, great film. I'd go see it again, based off a great book. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, watching that made me think that he could have done Prometheus so much better. Mm -hmm. um, so I have faith that he has righted this ship. He's realized what he has done wrong, and he's going to fix it with this one. Yeah. And to reiterate another point that I made uh, in a prior interview, um, what I really believe that happened with Prometheus was Fox wanted Ridley Scott on board. They wanted the they wanted essentially their own George Lucas back to direct these films. Ridley Scott wasn't interested in making another alien film. They said, okay, we'll make something different. Let's, what about a, fil a, a, a film that's kind of connected? Oh, okay, I kind of like that idea. Maybe I could explore the space jockey, but I'm not going to put an alien in it. Um, Ridley Scott didn't want to make an alien film, so he made Prometheus. Um, so and the confusion set in, um, so you had these this audience – Audience and fandom thinking, yay, Ridley Scott's back, an alien film, an alien film. And then you had um, that writer, Damon Lindelof, saying, is it an alien film? Maybe it's in the same universe, blah, 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 blah. Um, it was just mass confusion. It was mass confusion as to what the film was. And then, of course, we got the space jockey instead of an alien, which I agree with you, by the way. I think the space jockey 
the concept and design was amazing. I think that it's an iconic character. I don't know if it really answers a question as to if that's the space jockey that they saw in Alien. Um, the proportions are wrong. So much is wrong with that. Um, it was Ridley Scott's attempt to answer that question. And I don't know if that was a satisf satisfactory answer for many. For me, I was fine with it, to be honest with you. I was pretty upset with the engineers. I mean, that's another discussion for another day, but the gist of it was is that it's clearly not the space jockey, although it looks like it, even though there's lots of differences. And the proportions, like you said, are entirely wrong. It was yeah. just kind of like he's like, well, and then laughs at us about it. Yeah. Like, come on. Don't do that. Totally. Totally agree. Um, but I, I, like we've been saying, you and I and other people, I know that the, uh, some friends of ours on the bulletin, the Wayland Dutani bulletin, are a little skeptical. And I, I think you and I have healthy skepticism as well. But I, I, what weighs outweighs my skepticism is my belief that Ridley Scott is back. Um, I think he's in a good place where he has to kind of struggle to make this film, to make a good film. Um, to make a film that uh, is an intelligent and engages the audience intelligently, mm -hmm. um, and we'll see. I mean, the engines revved up. We, I think, the last thing that we saw was that, like we were talking about earlier, that clip with um, whoever that was in stasis. Um, I think whatever something's going to drop soon, um, and I'm excited to see what that will be. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ridley Scott knows what he's doing, but I think. The feedback from Prometheus and then the success he discovered with The Martian was kind of the catalyst for him to say, you know, maybe I did fuck up. This is my chance to make it right. And as carefully optimistic as I am, I am also very excited for it. I know that's oxymoronic, but um, I just want to see this movie already so I can have an opinion on it. Because I, I feel like I feel like sometimes we come across as wishy-washy about the movie. Um, you know, sometimes we trash Prometheus. Other times we speak very highly of it. And then that just, we kind of try and meet somewhere in the middle for Covenant. But I get the feeling that we're going to get a better film this time around for sure. I do too. I really do too. I think, um, I, th I believe that there's a shift happening with... Um, movie studios i think that they know that uh you know tickets i don't know how much tickets are in florida but out here in california our first run ticket is 13 dollars um on a good day 13.89 something like that i think Tic it's like 10.87 here with okay. tax and everything yeah so and for thursday showings of a movie so right yeah. before so well and i i think people are, you know, uh, box office numbers are down. I mean, uh, in certain months they've been better than other months, but um, people aren't running in to see films unless they know that they're good or right. they have good word of mouth. Um, and I really think that uh, studios are kind of picking up on that. Like, no, we need to make good films. We need to make films that are respectful to the audience. We need to make films that engage the audience like adults um, and not like children or not like, oh, they're stupid um, or whatever. Um, and I think there's this trend for a while, I think, especially with CG, um, and there's so much CG, I just think it, uh, it, it ends up dumbing down films um, or not being used uh, appropriately, and it makes people feel like, oh, this is stupid, you know? Yeah. Um, but I feel like, uh, like next year, I mean, we'll have 
Alien Covenant, we'll have the Blade Runner follow-up, and we'll have Star Wars. Plus, like a Wonder Woman film and Justice League film and a bunch of other things. Um, but I feel like I feel like all of those are going to be good. Um, yeah. Uh, it's certainly an exciting time to be a nerd, I'll say that. And I'm proud of my nerdy heritage and all that. Um, but, I, I mean, I think what's, what's important to do during all of this is to be carefully optimistic because um, I've certainly gotten let down by things before. Yeah. Um, especially big things. Um, Prometheus was a letdown for me, but um, it, it's kind of grown on me. Like I appreciate it, but I have problems with it. Yeah. And I'm the same way, really. I mean, the problems I have, as you know, we've discussed at nauseum and also two people you have to remember Prometheus is the, the last film in this series. Um, whether it's a prequel or whatever, it's, so it's going to be the film that's most talked about. I know some people get kind of tired of, oh, but some people say Bastion Prometheus. I feel like you and I on this show have a good balance between talking about what is great about that film and what is not great about that film. Um, and I think what, what makes what's difficult about Prometheus is there's so much greatness in it and there's so much ridiculousness in it. So it's that kind of uh, vacillating between those Oh, this was awesome. The, the engineers are awesome. Well, you know, well, you know, this character sucked. And why did he do this? And why did they run? And why couldn't? Why were they lost? And you know, blah 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 blah. Um, it's just lots of, of nonsense, really. Yeah, um, that, but that's, you know, that's where Prometheus failed. Lots of nonsense. Yeah, and it's you know, I Prometheus. Uh, it's interesting because obviously the next two or three films, I guess, that Ridley Scott will be making are going to be Alien, maybe, because say we have Alien Covenant, maybe the next one will be Alien Paradise Lost. I don't really know. Um, But they've distanced themselves from Prometheus. So Prometheus is kind of that one, is a one-off. And even in in an interview, and I know I might have talked about this before in a prior episode, but Ridley Scott is approached or spoken to by journalists talking about Covenant and they're saying, oh, it's going to kind of pick off where Prometheus left off. And Ridley Scott goes, no, actually, this is going to be more in line with Alien. Yeah. Uh, he distanced himself from Prometheus, which was very interesting. Um, but I think Ridley Scott, you know, unfortunately in fandom, um, and I've been harsh too, for sure. Um, you I do something. You know, and look at George Lucas. I mean, George Lucas was beat to hell over the prequels. And I think. Uh, Ridley Scott kind of experienced a little bit of that over Prometheus. Um, and it, it's that double-edged sword with fandom where they love you one minute and they hate you the next. Um, and I don't like that in fandom. I, I, I don't like that kind of hot and cold. Um, I think when people grow up with something or that something is in their life long enough, you feel an ownership to it. Like you understand it in a way that maybe even the creators of it don't. So you own it a little bit in your own way. And so when someone comes along and messes up what you think you own about that, you take offense to it. Exactly. Like, um, we're, we're so used to, you know, experiencing the alien and blade runner films, such a specific, you know, minute way that when somebody steps in and does things differently, we're not accustomed to that. And, I mean, we'll go see it because we're Alien fans and we support the franchise. But, you know, I think it's time for change. You know, Prometheus was a misstep. The AVP films, we're not even going to go there. I think Alien hasn't had an actual film since 1992. Yeah, I would agree. You know, 24 years ago. 
Yeah, yeah. Back when I was a wee lad, um, and you were a wee lad. Were you born in '92? Uh, I was probably a sperm somewhere at that point. <laughs> okay, we'll leave it there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I agree. I'm in total agreement with you, which, which, which kind of brings us to Neil Blomkamp. And like I said, we, in our last episode, we discussed whether or not maybe that film was in production and we don't think that that's the case anymore. We, uh, my opinion is, and of course I'll let, I'd like to hear what you think, but my opinion is that a 20th century Fox made an agreement with, with Ridley Scott, um, uh, saying we will not discuss publicly or reference Neil Blomkamp's alien film until your film has been released. That's what I think is happening. Um, I think it's a gentleman's agreement. It's a studio agreement. I believe that, uh, I do believe that alien, uh, Neil Blomkamp's project will probably start production next year. Um, so it'll be ready for 2018. So we'll have another alien film to come out. Uh, I think time is of an essence. Sigourney Weaver is not getting any younger. Neither is Michael Bean. Um, even though he's like, well, he's about seven years younger than she is. I think um, he just turned 60. Yes, he did. He did. Um, I mean, they they look great. They're awesome. They'll be great in the film. Um, and no one seems to have a problem with their age, as they shouldn't. No one had a problem with Harrison Ford playing on Solo. No, he looks better than the rest of them. God damn. Yeah, he looked, <laughs> he looked awesome. I mean, even Carrie Fisher, you know, she's just turning 60 i think she looked great she looked great as leia she looked like leia um she sounded a little bit different because her voice is raspy um yeah i think i think she should have not done so much cocaine and smoked a little less back in the 70s but that's just me she probably would agree with you um but yeah i mean i think that's what i think is going on with uh blomkamp's alien i think it's not dead by a long shot i think 20th century fox would be idiots if they were to uh just kind of let it let it go and let it die absolutely it's and they know that well we know. i mean we do live in the culture of rebootia where i mean yeah. people spend you know twenty dollars every summer to see the same regurgitated bullshit so yeah. 20th century fox has to be smart they have to they have to capture the summer blockbuster momentum and they also need to capture the momentum for another alien film because yeah. we have covenant coming out next year next october right October? Yep. August. August, and then Blade Runner 2 comes out in October. Yes. Um, Fox can capture that momentum, and they can ride that wave of excitement and put that straight into Alien 5. And they'd be dumb not to. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's it's their Star Wars, um, and their master is kind of back. I mean, Ridley Scott, I think Ridley Scott is 60, 76 or 77. Um, so he's climbing. He's climbing up there. Um so, but yeah, uh, really quality is 78, <laughs> 78. Wow. Wow. Quality is key. Um, the man is really, really prolific for, uh, someone of his age. Although I think, uh, what's his name? Clint Eastwood is in his age now and he's still making films. Um, but yeah, but I think quality is key. And I think, uh, 20th century Fox knows that. It's about quality. It's not about quantity. It's not about how fast they can deliver. Um, that these films will continue to pay off if they make them if they make them well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what it all boils down to is the studio's involvement or lack thereof. Yeah. The, the kind of funding that the studio can secure, and the kind of people that the director surrounds himself with. Because I mean, we've both made films. We know how difficult it is. And when you're surrounded by the right people, it just seems a lot easier. 
You know, people yeah. people who don't just say, "Oh, yes, yes, sir, this sounds good," or "No, no, sir, no, ma'am, whatever." You know, yeah. pe- people that challenge you and force you to think outside of the box and inspire you creatively to make a better piece of art. Yes, and the best art is born of struggle. Um, I think it gets harder and harder for um, proven directors like Spielberg, like Ridley Scott. A lot of their the best films are behind them. Um, and so they have to kind of find a place of struggle almost to create something that can relate to people because that's what human, that's what we relate to as an audience. We relate to struggle and we can see it and not that like we relate to struggle, like, Oh, someone's not struggling. We're not going to relate. But, um, it's, it's more of relating to the everyman and how you relate to the everyman, every woman, kind of that blue collar Joe Schmo walking down the street or, you know, um, is you have to tap into that. You have to understand what that life is like. You have to un- you have to kind of make your film relatable to those people because they're, they're, they're the, they, those will be the people going into going into the theaters to you know to buy your tickets. So well, I it's, mean, it's, it's I mean, what's more is that, is that everybody at some point in time has struggled. Every single yeah. person on the planet. So yeah. even even just to relate to the everyman stereotype, that's that's a start. Yeah. I think uh, Ridley could capture that momentum, and so could Neil for Alien 5. Yeah, and that's something we've discussed before. I think Neil Blomkamp is in, uh, and me and Yuani um, discussed that too. Neil Blomkamp really is in the perfect position to really make a really, really good film. He's not, this is not about dollar signs to him. This is about a passion project. This is something he loved to do, wanted to do. It's, you know, it's characters that he's been in love with his entire life. Um, and that's the people you want making these films, like the Duff Brothers who, um, who made Stranger Things. Um, they were in love with their project. I mean, they were turned down by over 20 studios who said, no, sorry, we don't get it. Um, I bet you they're kicking themselves right now, too. Oh, um, and I'm, no doubt. It'll be interesting to see what kind of 80 series clones will come out, um, like uh, trying to kind of tap into what the Duffer Brothers did with Stranger Things. Um, but you want people who are passionate. You want, you know, you want, I don't think you need to, bringing aboard like, uh, what's his name, Damon Lindelof, I don't really like his writing style. I don't, I, I, the way he comes off when he speaks, I don't really I don't know. I, I don't like. Not that I dislike him. I don't dislike him. Um, but there's a, a hubris about him that I think comes off in his work, which makes it unrelatable. Um, so when oh, you yeah. want to bring, it, yeah, and when you want to want to bring in a writer for an alien film or for something that's that so many people are so passionate about, they they need to have a passion for it. Um, they need to be able to understand it. Yeah, I mean, you you can't just you know. Put your facetious bullshit on display and say, "Oh, this is my art." If if you don't relate, then it's not for you. Yeah, you know that kind of thing. Just that that sense of screenwriter elitism just really irks me because I think Damon displayed that with uh, his screenplay for Prometheus. I think they should have just gone with the engineer screenplay that. Uh, I think John Spates wrote that. Yes. That is uh, that is so much better. That was a good script. It was. I haven't read all of it. Um, I mean, of course, they had all the familiar tropes. Um, but, I, you know, that just was a, um, you know, obviously we know that it was a 
uh, a byproduct of well, kind of the repositioning of that script from an alien film to a non-alien film set in the alien universe was a byproduct of Ridley Scott not not wanting to make an alien film, and Damon Lindelof servicing those needs. I th- I think Engineers would have been so much less of a risk to produce because Prometheus was a huge risk, and look what yeah. happened. Yeah, it made like you know half a billion dollars or something. Four hundred and twenty-six million. Actually, yeah. I think it might have been four hundred and six million. And so it was profitable, but barely. It wasn't the smash hit. Yeah, I mean, it made money, but it wasn't like oh my goodness, like you know, Star Wars. That made that's like the best-selling film of all time, Episode Seven, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. But um, Engineers would have been so much, so much better of a, a screenplay to produce into a film. It was much safer. Um, and it also had that alien quality to it. Like, you could feel that it was alien and not, oh, well, I mean, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Like yeah. That kind of thing. So. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, but we'll see. I mean, now we're getting an alien film. Um, we and are, and it's about the, damn time. Yeah. Um, so, what's next? What should we discuss? We can um, get into Blade Runner a little bit more if you wanted to. Yeah, I, I think we should talk about that for sure. Um, there's a lot happening with that. You know, I, it's interesting. We've seen two uh, concept images from uh, Entertainment Weekly that they published, and they published a little kind of short interview with Dennis Villanueva, which I don't know if I pronounce his last name. I think it might be might be Villanueva. I don't know. I I, I can't pronounce it. Um, <laughs> so I'll stick with Villanueva. I think that that sounds good. Um, Fine by me. <laughs> so, um, but we've seen two images, and they were very arresting, um, very Blade Runner inspired images. And uh, him talking about kind of where the world is. There, it takes place in Los Angeles again. Um, the whole kind of world. Uh, ecology has gone to shit um, where everything is toxic and that's really all we know so it, it just seems like it'll be a continuation in the right direction of the original Blade Runner yeah which is good um, I, I'm not sure as to why they selected Budapest um, not that I'm opposed to this decision but it might have been too costly to produce in Los Angeles um, yeah, that's interesting too. Like, I, I was wondering, like, why, you know, I was kind of like, why are they in Budapest? Why aren't they shooting in LA? Like, but it could be, you could be right. I mean, it's a big, big production um, that's hopefully utilizing a lot of practical effects if he's smart. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm use, I'm looking on Google Images right now, and I'm looking at pictures of Budapest. Uh, it's very European in style, and there's, there's even some Spanish architecture in there. It looks like. Um, I I guess if they did it right, they could you know hamstring it as being well. This is Los Angeles because at the, I mean at the point of Blade Runner's timeline, L.A. was not recognizable at all. Right. So and they, they might be at Sound Studios, Fox Sound Studios in Budapest. That we don't is know true. Like on the street, you know. Well, it's it's not going to be a Fox production. Blade Runner's always been Warner Brothers. Oh, that's true. You're right. You're right. Um. So it could be one of their sound stages. So we'll have to see. Yeah. Um, this the cast for Blade Runner. This Blade Runner sequel is really, really great. Robin Wright, Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford, of course. Um, which we should talk about. Uh, I posted a, an image on our Facebook page of a woman. I think her name is Alexa. I don't know. Um, I'll have to go and look. Um, who is a dead ringer for Sean Young uh, in her Blade Runner 
as as Rachel. I mean, dead ringer. And the caption was, was this woman hired to be Rachel in the Blade Runner follow-up? Now, I don't know. Um, it, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's just wild speculation. Uh, but I, I just couldn't. She looks so much like Sean Young. It's it's pretty interesting. And if they're going to reference Sean Young's character or reference a photo, they're going to have to get Sean Young's approval. Sean Young wouldn't give her approval, first of all. Um, she wouldn't give her approval whatsoever. Yeah, um, she'd I be like, oh, well, I need to be in this film. And she'd yeah, probably totally. dress up like Rachel and throw Roman candles at somebody or something. <laughs> <laughs> Poor thing. She's just... She's she's in a different place in her life. I'll leave it there. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, I, in order for them to use images of Rachel um, without having to, you know, without having a lawsuit, they'd have to find someone who looks like Rachel. And mm. I, I said I said this in a meme or I wrote a meme months ago saying I can't uh, imagine a Blade Runner film without Rachel. Um, and part of that's true. I, and I, not because I need to see another Blade Runner film. That's just the the same as the first one. I'm off. Take a risk. Do something different. But having um, Rick Deckard being back, but not Rachel. It's just oh, she was such the heart of that film. She really was. She definitely was. Um, and some of some of the expanded universe lore taps into that. Um, I I won't spoil a lot, but Rachel is based off of Terrell's niece. Um, yes who was a real person and not a replicant, though they try and confuse the reader and that, so whatever. <laughs> um, but she she's definitely as important to Blade Runner as uh, Deckard is, I'd say. I would agree. I would agree. And I, my, my opinion is they, they will, uh, they will kind of talk about Rachel that yes, she met her incept date. And that will be that. And maybe we'll see a photo of her. Um, maybe we'll see a photo of her from the Blade Runner era so they can use that photo without having to ask Sean Young's uh, permission. Um, but that's that's what I think. There, Sean Young probably won't be in any um, big films for the, for the rest of her life. I just think she's that, that part of her career is over. Um, but, I, yeah, I maybe, maybe what's her name? Um, Robin Wright. Maybe she'll be a replicant. Um, she's a wonderful actress. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I love her. No one knows who she is. She's in um, that show, uh, that series on Netflix, the political series. I can't remember the name House right of now. Cards. Cards. She's famously known for The Princess Bride, which is what I grew up with. Um, Forrest she's amazing. Gump. Forrest Gump. Jen A. Jen A. So I, 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 if, she, she, if she kind of takes over that role, she's a beautiful, beautiful woman, too. Beautiful woman. Um I'm I'm fine with it too, um, and I have faith. I have faith that this film's going to be good. I do too. I mean, it. I I'm more able to place more faith in Blade Runner two than I am in Covenant, and that's primarily because of the production team working on Blade Runner two as opposed to Covenant. Not that mm -hmm. there's anything wrong with Covenant, but yeah. I just feel like I'm I'm more confident. And I feel more secure with the people producing Blade Runner 2. It, it's got a lot of people who were, who were in, involved in the original production. Like you got Hampton Fancher working on the um, screenplay with Michael Green. Yeah. You got Ridley Scott. And then you have um, Harrison Ford for Rick Deckard. 
So. Yeah, everybody, everybody's in place for sure, for sure. If if they can follow more of the um, the Sid Mead, Ron Cobb style that they kind of set forth in the late seventies, early eighties, I think we've got uh, we've got a lot in store for us and a lot of fun coming up. Yeah, and I'm someone who I I would rather be hopeful than um, I'd rather be hopeful and optimistic than like oh this is gonna suck. I really don't believe that. I don't. And you know, I mean, even I'm so optimistic. It took. I saw I saw Prometheus three times in the theater, and it took me a long time to get to the place where I felt like, oh, I have more problems with this movie than I do joy. Um, so I, I'm a slow thing, I'm a slow processor, um, but I'm also very optimistic, and I, I like to until I'm shown otherwise, and that's how I'm going to be. Um, I'm an optimistic fan. I, I wish nothing but the best for the crew behind Blade Runner Two. I wish nothing for the best for Ridley Scott and his crew on Alien Covenant. Um, and, I, you know, uh, I'll just leave it there because um, I, I want to see people succeed. I don't want to see people fail. And I think that's, again, that's the, the double-edged sword of fandom um, where fandom coalesces in, in some groups um, or some pockets and they, they are so wildly um, – they have such wild ownership – um, and almost a sense of ent- being entitled to a certain project or a certain series or whatever that they want it to fail. Um, they want whatever, even if it's, you know, whatever. They just think, oh, no, it's going to suck. It's going to suck. It's going to suck. Without ever seeing a frame of the film, um, they don't care. They've made their mind up. That is not who I want to be. It's not the kind of fandom that I support. No. Um, so- Certainly people can have their own views or whatever. That's fine. But uh, I, I would rather be optimistic um, and then be let down as opposed to just think everything's going to suck. Um, because when you already put yourself in that box, it's hard for something to work in that space. Yeah, so you, I, don't, you don't give it any chance to win you over. It's just like, oh, fuck this. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, like, I mean, I know a lot of people were talking shit about Ghostbusters. I know it didn't do very well, but people were talking shit about that film months before it even opened. And I was just standing back, just looking like, oh my, I mean, people were doing the same thing with some DC films. Um, people continue to do that with, uh, Suicide Squad, which I saw, I really enjoyed. It wasn't amazing, but it was really enjoyable. Um, but people are just news, news outlets, trade magazines, fandom, just dissing on it like it's like it's someone has stolen and killed their child um and i don't understand that and that's nothing that's just not who i am it's not who we are we are critical we can be critical we can be critical of really scott we can be critical of fox who's really is at the fox really is the the kind of studio who i fault in terms of a lot of the uh the failings of the alien series um alien 3 in large part uh alien resurrection the avp films uh they are what they are because fox couldn't get their hands out of it um and i I will always articulate that but i hope that they succeed you know yeah i'm i'm really (laughs) i've got my fingers crossed i'm hoping this is going to be the one i and i feel like it will be yeah i I agree i agree and that cast i mean cast for covenant is amazing it's bang up it's so awesome yeah i i feel like um the cast for uh, Blade Runner 2 is also, you know, it's just everybody in there is awesome. Yep. Agreed. Totes, totes, totes adorbs. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the youth are saying these days. I'm kidding. Um, 
but yeah, so those are our thoughts, people, um, about kind of what's going on. Uh, me and Peter are going to be working on our, our next episode is going to be a review of Alien. What's it called? Out of the Shadows. Out of the Shadows. The uh, Alien audiobook. Out of the Shadows. The audiobook. So it's like a it's like a radio play essentially. Um, and me and Peter are going to be listening to that both. And the next episode we're going to be talking about that and any other news that might come up. Um, so we're excited. I'm excited. Um, we hear Ripley might be in this. Um, and there are some other uh, stars in this as well, so it should be interesting. Yeah, Rutger Hauer's in it. Um, Kezia Burroughs yes. is in it. From is she? Okay. Some, somebody mentioned that, I, um, and then the person who did the voice for Amanda Ripley, I believe, is the one who voices... Um, oh, fuck. I'm trying to remember. I I think... I, I don't know. I'll I'll find out, but... There, there's Rucker Howers in it. Um, there's a lot of people in it that were tied with isolation. Um, and our our good pal Tim Levin is the person who uh, wrote the book, which is a great book. If you haven't read it already, I suggest you read it. Yes, for sure. Um, um, the, the cast, uh, Rutger Hauer plays Ash. Ripley is portrayed by Laurel Lefko. Um, Andrea Deck, who pro- provided the voice of, um, Amanda Ripley in isolation. She plays one of the characters in the film as well, or, uh, okay. the audio book. So. Interesting. Well, it'll be a fascinating, um, thing to listen to and i'm excited about it it's kind of like an alien film uh without visuals um so it'll be i'm excited to kind of get involved with it so yeah that'll, that'll be uh the topic of our, the, the larger topic of our next episode which will be out in a couple of weeks um so i think that's a wrap that is a wrap <laughs> <laughs>